What's up, guys? Welcome back to Sit Down with Sid podcast, episode number 18. And our guest today is a 1982 graduate of the United States Naval Academy. He served more than 27 years of active duty and retired with the rank of captain at the end of 2009. He is now a co-owner and CEO at Dog is Good, which he founded with his wife, Gila, back in 2007. His primary focus is mainly on operations and finance and a lot of the creative development. That being said, let's welcome our guest all the way from Los Alamitos, California, John Kurtz. How are you, John? Very good. Thanks for having me, Sid. Uh, thanks so much for uh, giving us this opportunity to have you uh, on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been an honor and uh, I want to thank you personally for uh, your service, you know, uh, that being said, John, before we dive uh, straight into the into the questionnaires, you know, uh, for this podcast, the discussion points, uh, would you mind taking a moment and telling our audience a little bit about your background? You know, yeah, of course. Um, you're making me feel like a like a superstar here or something, um, wholly undeserved. But let's see, my background: I grew up uh, mostly in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, you know, pretty pretty unremarkable. Um, as far as, you know, no wild upbringing or, or anything like that. Good student in school, um, good baseball player. And one fateful, fateful morning in July of um, uh, 1977, I guess it was, um, I went to the, so there was an ad in the paper for Major League Scouting Bureau Tryout Clinic. And um, Little did I know that that would pull me away from Wilmington, Delaware forever and uh, you know, uh, embark on something different because there were a lot of college coaches there as well. And uh, so, you know, visited a couple schools and ended up going to the Naval Academy, recruited for baseball. But uh, yeah, that was my, that was ultimately my ticket. Oh, wow. So, so I know you went into the uh, U.S. Navy. Uh, so, so let me ask you, John, do you have a family history of military service and, and like, what was the inspiration behind your move into the Navy career? Yeah, no, um, actually, I, not only no family history of it, really, except my grandfather in, in World War One, and he kind of had a history. He ran away at the age of 16 and, and, and joined the Navy. And then when they found out he was 16, they, uh, kicked him out and sent him home and he ended up getting drafted into world war one, but that that's about it. And in fact, the whole military thing was very foreign to me. And when I went and visited the Naval Academy, um, it was really intimidating. It was very, just very different. And I'd seen like the army Navy game on TV and all, cause you know, Wilmington's not that far from Philadelphia. So I knew, knew about that sporting event, but other than that, it was, it was, um, very foreign. And I didn't really, I wasn't going to go. And um, my, uh, my math teacher in high school at the time, really the only teacher I, I had a relationship with, you know, he was a cool guy. And, and I liked math and liked him. And uh, he cornered me in the hallway one day. He said, so what are you, what are you doing? You know, what, what, what's your college plan and this and that? He goes, are you going to, are you going to go to Navy? And I said, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, how can you say no to an opportunity like that? And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. 
And that was kind of a life-changing event because I had to ask myself, why, why am I saying no? And the reason was because I was afraid. And it was, you know, it was kind of like, don't be a wuss, do it. And, you know, from that, because it was very hard for me initially, it was, it was a shock to my system. Um, it became kind of a recurring theme, do hard things, right. you know, do things that are not comfortable because a lot of us grow up in an environment where um, we're not, we don't have everything, but we're ne not necessarily wanting for everything and everything can be as comfortable as we like it unless we kind of push ourselves out of that environment. So very well said. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about your assignments in, in your Navy career. Sure. Uh, um, which one would you say was your most memorable and why? So basically, I'm asking you three questions in, in one question. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if you want to take it from here, give us some uh, input of your career, you know, to sum it up. Yeah, well, 20, 27 plus years is a long time to... Um, you know, to break down into what you like, I could, I could most easily tell you what I didn't like it in that time frame. but I, I was real fortunate. I got to do a lot of things. I started out in the surface ship Navy, the cruiser destroyer side of, of that Navy, because everything has, it's, has its own culture, you know, not all ships are alike and not all aircraft squadrons are alike, you know, everything has its own little culture, subculture within within the Navy, but I started out in the, uh, in the cruiser destroyer Navy. And I was, um, I was pretty competitive in that. And, you know, the military is a, is a very, it's, it goes up to, it's a pointy triangle and it's a very competitive career, um, you know, to get up to that pointy end. So, uh, but I, I remained competitive in the first uh, couple of assignments that I had. And then I had an opportunity after my first, my couple, couple of sea duty tours to, um, so I guess I was like at maybe getting close to the, maybe about like the four year, five year point or so. I went back to the Naval Academy as an instructor and one of my office mates had been prior enlisted in the Navy and he was a, a Navy deep sea diver. And he heard me kind of complaining about, oh, yeah, you know, I like the Navy. I don't like this whole surface warfare gig. And he's like, well, you ought to look at, uh, at going into the diving community. It's like, well, I don't really know that much about it. It's because it's kind of out of the mainstream, you know? Um, and what really appealed to me was, uh, was that you needed to be in shape. <laughs> you, know, you got paid to work out on company time, basically, you know? So, well, how, how bad can that be? And you could still, you know, ultimately have command of a ship and do this, that, and the other thing. So, so anyway, um, yeah, long story uh, shortened. Within a couple of years, I was the, the oldest guy in my dive school class on my way to becoming a deep sea diving officer. And uh, oh, wow. so it kind of changed the trajectory of, of what my career would be. And I got to do some really interesting things, both in the, the diving and salvage uh, related world, you know, you know uh, harbor clearance operations, you know, removing wrecks and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, there's a whole mine warfare world going on there too, mine warfare, mine countermeasures. So I learned a lot about that and did jobs in that. I was the commanding officer of a mine countermeasure ship uh, for a short time, very short time. I was the commander of a uh, salvage and rescue ship. This is one of those instances where the captain of the ship got fired and I 
I, I went in there and took over for a bit. Um, but then I also got tracked into some other um, lesser known corners of the Navy, like uh, weapons station management and explosives safety management, because all the, you know, bombs, bullets and and explosives are stored in, you know, these special huge, uh, huge sites. Um, so I got into that world, but um, I also spent time at the Pentagon. Um, and that was the part I liked the least <laughs> of all of all those years. And of course, it was like the longest I ever lived anywhere. But um, yeah, I got to be I was commanding officer of the Navy Dive School, the Naval Diving and Salvage Training Center in uh, Panama City, Florida. I ran a weapon station up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And ultimately, um, I was a commanding officer of the Naval Weapons Station in Seal Beach, California. And that's Which where was I your last retired. assignment. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So I retired then and, and, you know, stepped away from, from the Navy, but, uh, you know, I got to go a lot of places and work with some really, truly remarkable people and see some remarkable things and ultimately be, you know, scared to death with, uh, you know, some of the things we were doing and, and then elated with, you know, just watching successes of people I'm, I'm working with. And um, yeah, no, uh, you know, in hindsight, no regrets. That's amazing. So John, let me ask you, if you had any advice on to someone who is considering going into the military, what would it be based on your 27 years of experience? Yeah, just do it. You know, there's something, there's something for everyone. And, and if, if you're not going to just be honest with yourself as to why you're not, you know, um, depending on the, you know, the time commitment that you're, that you're doing, um, you know, there might be some misgivings, but um, yeah, it's, uh, you're not going to get rich, but you're going to, you're going to get rich with experience, you know, and when you're doing it, there's plenty of opportunity to challenge yourself and, and just do new things, but you'll never, you'll never meet such a, a wide variety of people that are all on the same team. John, so the, I, I want to ask you something personally. I have read this and I've also heard this from a few entrepreneurs that I follow. They have said that if you don't know what you want in life, if you don't know your path in life, just go to military and you will come out a new man with a vision and a direction you want to take your life to. So my question is, what is your input on this statement? And second, would you be who you are today if you were not in Navy? Um, second question answered first, I would not be the person I am if I'd have just, you know, had I not gone, gone and thrown baseballs on that, you know, decisive day in July of 1970. Seven. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree that you're going to, you're going to come out and you're going to know a direction, uh, but I, I will tell you, you'll come out and you'll have some great habits because isn't, isn't life about creating good habits or a yes, successful definitely. life about creating good habits. It's not about creating a lot of money. It's not, uh, but when you, when you install new good habits on top of new good habits and don't stop doing that then things take shape and um but you know you can't say that anyone especially because so many people leave the military they're still pretty young they don't know what they want to do but they know how to behave they know how to be 
and they know how to show up for the most part, right? And isn't knowing how to be and knowing how to show up such an important part of what we do? That's true. Um, I mean, you actually made a great point here about good habits, you know, and, and I really like your perception and I'm sure the audience would love uh, your advice on this, you know? Uh, so, so now coming back to your retirement, like when did you realize that it was time for you to go, you know, and was it like an easy decision after giving 27 years of your life to it? Yeah, it, um, you know, I knew when I made that switch out of the, you know, a mainstream part of the Navy into what, you know, the, the little corner of the Navy that I was joining with, you know, all these subspecialties. Um, I made that decision knowing that I could only go so far, you know, I could get to the rank of captain, but there's, there was no opportunity to reach flag rank, right. To be an admiral, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I'd been an admiral's aide for 18 months at that point, And I knew what they did and I thought it was great. And I love being an, an aide and having a, you know, an inside look at what very few people get to see, especially, um, you know, spent time. He was the one guy I worked for as a battle group commander on a Mediterranean deployment. And uh, yeah, there's inside look at some, some pretty interesting stuff. But um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing track of the track of the question here. So it but, was like, uh, was it an, was it an easy decision for you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Maybe. At the end, at the end to get out. Yeah. So one, one of the other things I kind of discovered about myself and that I learned is in an organization, the further I get away from where work is actually being done, the less interesting I find it. Right. So when you're in a job like Pentagon or, you know, a major staff somewhere and it's all about resource management, which means building, building up your program and getting money to sustain it, you know, government, government work, the more, the more you're into that, uh, uh, the less interested I, you know, I knew I would become. And though I had some other command opportunities ahead, I could have taken my boss's position and had this, you know, big worldwide organization. I was like, you know what, when I'm not traveling, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be begging for money, you know, traveling from Norfolk to, to DC and whatnot, you know, pitching the program and trying to, to keep it alive because that's the nature a lot of times of, of how government works. You know, it's a, it's a quest for relevance. And there was a, a saying that I'll, I'll never forget this. I love it. I think it's really clever um, that when, when you go to the Pentagon, um, they say, I'd rather be wrong than irrelevant. Rather be wrong than irrelevant. Yeah. You know, if you're wrong, you live to live to fight another day. If you're irrelevant, no one needs you. Right. I mean, think of, think about That's any organization, great. you know, where it's kind of kind of programmatic broken down into departments or projects or whatever. If you're irrelevant, you're done. I love that. I love that. I'd rather be wrong than being irrelevant. Wow. Uh, John, that is great. You know, so I want to talk about uh, your current project, you know, uh, Dog is Good, uh, which you started with your wife 
back in 2007. So it is a thriving apparel and gift store of original products for people that love pets. Now, how did this idea, I mean, come along? Were you active at that time? Still in the Navy, correct? Yeah, because you... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how did so, this all come along, please? Yeah, so uh, Gila, my wife, um, had been... Well, she had been a, a school teacher early on, and then with all the moving that the Navy provided, um, she took up dog training as kind of a portable business, and we were living in Washington State. And um, so this was, you know, the early 2000s, I guess 2004, 2005-ish. And um, boy, we just noticed that this whole humanization of pets thing was just out of control, right? I mean, it was just changing through the 90s and you know, you saw the evolution of dog mom and pet parents and, yeah. and all this ridiculous kinds of um, merchandise that was coming out. And, and we saw it kind of firsthand with uh, some people that we knew where we were, where we were living at the time. And um, so we thought, well, you know what, we can do something in, in the pet space. But we also noticed that everything was about pet specialty products and no was no one was really doing anything that was remarkable for people nothing fun nothing funny nothing anything that that was good you know if you wanted to get something you know a t-shirt dog related or whatever you know, you'll get an iron on of a breed or something so um so we thought yeah you know what let's uh let's do something with this well you know the navy got in the way and we moved to california and you know that that got really busy and ultimately we had, we had made some, uh, had some ball caps made and got some trademarks as a result of that. And, um, some, some, uh, new friends of ours in California saw it and were like, oh my God, that's, uh, Hey, that's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. So we started just doing some product and selling at events and it was all nights, nights and weekends, nights and weekends. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, it was all, all out of the house. And then, um, at the time I retired, was like the worst, you know, the worst economy you could imagine. And the, uh, the job prospects I had um, remaining locally in, in the Seal Beach area were starting to, to really dwindle and there's no way we're going to move. My daughter was, um, how old was she at that time? Like uh, maybe 11 years old. And we, when we moved to California, you know, it was her, it's already her fifth state, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> in yeah. eight years. And uh, so we weren't, we weren't going to move. So the, you know, the business was starting to grow and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's uh, we got, we got something going here. Let's, let's pursue it full time. So um, yeah. So that was, that was the start. So officially, I mean uh, yeah, it started in 2007, but 2009 end of 2009, beginning of 2010, that's when it became a full-time gig for both of us. Perfect. So I mean, we, we both know, you know, that pet industry is such a highly competitive market. Um, and as you mentioned, during your initial uh, years of operation, which was a 2008-2009 depression we had here, uh, how did you overcome that, especially that part between 2008 till 2010, when the economy started to recover again, being a startup business? Yeah, um, you know... We didn't really know any better because, you know, when you're starting out and, and the economy's bad, it, it is what it is. But I always figured it would be a competitive advantage. 
you know, over the, over the years, I remember seeing, you know, all these cycles of relative booms and busts and, and real estate agents. And, you know, everybody wants to be a real estate agent when the market's good and it looks like everyone's making money. And then when, you know, stuff happens, they bail, right? But the ones who stick it out, they end up with all these, all these great relationships with their potential, uh, you know, real estate customers and that sort of thing. And I'd seen that on at least, you know, three cycles at, at that point, you know? And uh, so I figured, you know, the same thing will happen here. And if we can, if we can hang in um, for a couple of years, then, then other people will fall by the wayside that might be competitors and that sort of thing. Didn't realize that like most, um, you know, recessions, which were covering about 18 months, didn't realize this one would take like six years or whatever it was, you know, uh, but still we, um, we knew we had a, a very unique thing going on and we are unique in the business, in, in our, in our business. We've got a, um, a really strong following. What we found is that formula, that special touch that really allows us to create an, emo an emotional attachment where it's not about the products that we're doing. It's about the brand that we've created. So, so can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So when you say it's not the product, it's the brand. So how does that differentiate you from other competitors? I'm sure, I mean, there are a lot of people who actually have this apparel gifts, you know, accessories. So, so like, what is it you think, do you think, is it the branding side that separates you from there? Or is it the quality of the product or merchandise? Well, the, the, the quality is reflective of the brand. What okay. we're really good at is the, uh, the messaging, you know, mm -hmm. basically the, the art and, and messaging. Really, nobody needs what we're selling at all. No one, no one needs it. No one needs a t-shirt or a hoodie or a sleep shirt or some look at my shelves here that no one needs another ceramic mug, plush toy, wall art, or double wall stainless steel mug, right? <laughs> no, no one needs that, but they got to have it because it reflects who they are as a dog lover. There's something when people look at our line, it's like, there's going to be something where like, oh my God, that is just so me. So we can capture people, capture their attention with that. But we've also created community around that. And the thing about dog lovers is, um, well, there's different types of dog lovers. You know, we've kind of, you know, we have to target them kind of, kind of differently and satisfy what they want differently. But they love to show that they love their dog. And we enable them to do that. And that's, so that's kind, of the, kind of the secret sauce. I love that. So let me ask you, I, I, I just want to bring this up. I know it just came to my mind. Sure. So, I mean, we all know New York City, you know, it's one of the highly populated pet uh, population, if I can say. Sure, yeah. Uh, have you ever thought of expanding it to the East Coast here in New York City? Yeah, our products are everywhere. Um, you know, we don't have much, we don't have much in New York City. Um. You know, we've got some licensees that sell into, you know, kind of mass market different products here and there. So you will see some of our products, licensed products, but the stuff that we do ourselves 
don't lend themselves to most of the retail that you would find in the five boroughs. You know what I mean? It's um, we are we are in some, but the pet specialty stores seem to be or tend to be very small there, and focused really? on, on and focused on pet as opposed to the uh, you know the stuff for the dog lover. So we are we are in some retail, but you know if you if you walk around Manhattan, you won't see a whole lot of our stuff. Maybe just you know kind of the kind of the small things. But as we're getting into consumable products now for the pet and products for the pet. Um, I think, I think we'll get a, you know, a greater presence in, uh, in the city. Yeah, that would, that would be great. You know, uh, I actually did look at some of your products and I just based on what I can see, they tell me it's a top-notch quality, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to get something for myself, though I don't yeah, have a well, pet yeah, right thanks, now. Thanks for that. You know, <laughs> no problem. So I just want you to elaborate a little bit about, I, I went through your website. You talk about wholesale licensing affiliate and brand ambassador program. And then you also have a charity uh, dog is good for good foundation. Do you want to right. touch base on each one of them briefly? Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of moving parts. Um, so we, um, in terms of sales channels, our primary revenue driver is selling, um, uh, selling to resellers, right? So we sell into a lot of, a lot of retail stores all over the country. And in fact, we have uh, international, a new international distributor in Japan, who's just oh, getting wow. warmed up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they That's just great. Placed, they just received their first uh, purchase order, which, which was really nice. And they intend to go really go for it next year. So we're really pleased because we, we just known that uh, that's going to be a great market for us. Um, so we sell it to retail stores. The other thing that we have is um, we call it our exhibitor program. Mm -hmm. So we have dog lovers who are entrepreneurial and we have a wholesale retail relationship with them. But mm -hmm. more than that, and I, I wouldn't say that it's a business opportunity because that implies that, you know, we're providing, you know, certain things and certain levels of support and that cost money. Um, so they buy buy wholesale, sell retail at events. They do physical pop-up shops. Some of them do mall kiosks, just all kinds of things, creative mm -hmm. things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've had people with vehicles. We've got someone now who's doing um, container conversions. I don't know if you've ever seen like their shipping containers, but they make them so that they open up on the side and you just open it up and set up shop. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So we've got people doing all kinds of creative stuff like that. And uh you know, we're, we've, we've really doubled down on building that sales channel. Um, people are super excited. We provide a lot of community around it. We do coaching. I mean, we would do coaching for retail stores and we have actually for retail stores on, you know, how to do the, the product correctly and, and that sort of thing. So John, so if I understand correctly, maybe you can correct me. Sure. If I wanted to ask you, I know, you have a B2B as well as a B2C customer, business to business, business to consumer. Right. Is it fair to say that majority of what you do or how you're branding yourself is B2B? Being the wholesaler, the retailer, the coaching. In, uh, in terms of revenue streams and sales channels, B2B okay. is the revenue driver. Okay, um, great. But understand that through these exhibitors, or we mm -hmm. call them also pop-up shop operators, 
we are reaching one-to-one with the consumer in a way that stores do not, right? Because they're having every weekend, they're going out and selling and they're having conversations with people that are just like them. And that goes a very long way into building the brand. And these people are, they love dog is good. Most of them come on board because they know the brand and love the brand. And we advertise for it on, on Facebook okay. and a lot. And, you know, we get all these responses and it's like, oh yeah, I love the brand. I want to, I want to know what this is about. How do I participate? And it, it you know, we can get out in front of a hundred thousand people in a weekend. If somebody set up at a state fair, we can get through, you know, a million people are going to see the logo in the course of three weeks. So it's stronger. It's a stronger brand building tool, mm-hmm. if you will, okay. than a B2C website where, I mean, it'd be killer if we can get 10,000 people a day to the website, you know, right. but that's, you know, that's highly unusual, but, but, you, uh, but yeah. you market kind of to both the markets, B2B as we well do. as B2C. Oh yeah. We drive traffic to the, to our dogisgood.com. And we also have an Amazon presence. Not everything is available in Amazon. Um, there's certain things do better than others. Like we do scrub tops on there and we do way more on Amazon than we do on our own uh, web store for uh, scrubs, like for vets and vet techs, that sort of thing. But, right, so, um, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, so, you know, we're, we're really about building community and we, mm-hmm. do, it, we do it both ways. B2C mm-hmm. and through the B2B side of things, but we're also driving community through um, social media. You know, we've got a pretty solid Facebook crowd and, um, you know, Instagram's doing okay for us. And we also, um, and this will get into the whole COVID discussion, you know, uh, so last year um, we were, you know, really knocked back on our heels because here we'd been putting all our resources towards building this um, exhibitor program. Mm-hmm. And by the second week of March, every event in the entire country was shut down. Shut down. Everything. So our program went almost to zero. And it didn't really start coming back online until June of this year. So basically for 15 months, there was not a whole lot of activity there. And stores, with the exception of a few states, were largely closed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave us a, an opportunity to, to look at some other sales channels. And we had been approached before by um, a consultancy who builds network marketing companies. And as it turns out, they're like the go-to company and probably in the world for consulting on building a network marketing company. And they said, hey, you know, we ought to talk. And then, uh, you know, when when the exhibitor program basically got, you know, ground to a halt, that's Mm -hmm. when we jumped in with both feet and said, yeah, let's do this. So we also have now a network marketing component to the business and the, our exhibitors are, are a part of that. And, um, yeah, so we've not gone. Do do you mind elaborating just for a minute? What's, what is a networking network marketing for just the audience to understand? Yeah, basically, you know, network marketing is, it's, is direct selling. Um, Mm -hmm. But not only are you moving products at retail in sort of an affiliate manner, but you can also recruit people and earn override income on the volume that they move. So it's, it's tiered direct selling where commissions roll up based on who's on, on how productive of an organization that you've built. So, um, 
So we've got the whole back office in place to do that. And we've got people that are, that are being productive and, um, you know, we haven't done basically, you know, our real grand opening yet. We want to wait until we have some more consumable products going and, and that's coming along, along real well. We're getting some, some good stuff together. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of opportunity and, you know, the brand lends itself to it. It, it just does. So, I mean, it's great. You have so many things going on. Uh, and I'm assuming that the brand ambassador program somehow goes under the network marketing umbrella. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. Um, so there's two things, you know, we talk about brand ambassadors and typically they're like affiliate marketers, you know, and they show up on Instagram and, mm -hmm. you know, help yeah. promote the brand. But in our, in our network marketing side, which, and that sales channel, we call it dig direct dog is good direct. Okay. Well, we have brand, brand, brand ambassadors in dig direct mm -hmm. are like distributors in any other network marketing company, right? It's just, we call them brand ambassadors because we didn't want to be like other network marketing companies, sure. you know, it's, and everyone says, man, this just doesn't feel like, you know, network marketing or multi-level marketing it just doesn't, it's very different. And, and it is, and we're relying on, you know, moving, uh, moving products through retail and, um, you know, rewarding people for being productive. Wow. So much happening around that. I'm, I'm sure, you know, yeah, this is going to bring a lot of uh, success to your business, you know? Um, well, that's, that's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan, you know? Uh, one last question on this topic is, uh, you know, I was just reading about your business and everything. And I remember Shark Tank, you know? And right. I remember, I remember a lot of companies, especially related to pent industry, pitching on Shark Tank. So my question to you is, have you and your wife ever thought of pitching on the Shark Tank? We have. We oh, have, we, we've thought about it. Okay. And, you know, um, I, I don't know if it would be a, a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it can't be bad because of all the, all the exposure, but I don't know if they would really have an appreciation for it. If, if we had a hero product that was just like, oh my God, that's like incredible, you know? And, and it just screams of, oh my God, this will be in Target and Walmart and Bed Bath and all these places, right? Because it's a great product. We don't, we don't have that. We have a brand and I don't know if, if they would really appreciate what we have with, with the brand, with this broad array of products and all these different sales channels. So we've, we've not done that. It's not off the table by any means. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we could do that would seemingly be good exposure. Um, but is it really what's best for the business? What's best for the brand? And that's kind of how we evaluate things. It's not what's best for John and Gila Kurtz. It's, you know, it's what's best for dog is good as we intend it to become really, you know, a, a legacy brand. Um, I mean, if I, if I may say um, my two cents on this, sure. uh, you, you said you don't have a good, like you have a good brand, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would highly encourage you guys to go to Shark Tank because number one, you know, it's more about distribution. You already have a very great B2B business setup and especially with mm -hmm. the network marketing uh, that can help you not just in domestic, but international distributorship, right. which is huge, you know? Yeah. Um, 
as you said, you know, you had something going on with Japan and you're ecstatic about it. And, and, you know, same way, you know, once you do your research, you see which countries you have a better chance, you know, right. With the right. highest pet population. Uh, this is just me speaking as a, as a third party, you know? No, and, no, I uh, appreciate that. And in fact, just last week I had a conversation with, with a gal who, um, who got a deal on shark tank in the pet space. So really, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have really, really good conversation. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about it from time to time and you know what, maybe, maybe we will, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, there's just so many, uh, so many things and just so much bandwidth too, but, uh, I'll be jumping with joy. If that happens, I'm like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> he was on my yeah. podcast, you know? So well, my, my, yeah, my, my wife would be, she'd be awesome on it. She's super high energy and she's all about, all about that. And, uh, yeah. So, so, so just a last question on this and uh, before we wrap this up. Uh, so you basically handle more the operations and finance and a little bit of creative development side. What is Gila? The, am I pronouncing her correctly? Yeah, Gila. Yeah, hard Gila. Gila. Okay, perfect. So what is her role in the company if you handle the operations and finance? She's really the community builder. Mm-hmm and the face of the brand. Okay. Um, I, I hardly even do podcasts really. <laughs> you know, I need, I need to do, uh, I need to do more, but most people don't want to hear about, you know, the, you're the doing great. Let me tell stuff. you, <laughs> you're, you're doing an excellent, uh, I mean, um, but you know, she's more on product development. We're both, you know, we're both on product development. We both do creative stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's more, I would say anything to build community, um, the exhibitor program, it's her baby, uh, okay. most, most of the wholesale selling. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I'll jump in and, and maybe take a product from, from scratch to completion and, and even get it into distribution. You know, I'm personally doing a couple things now and she's doing a couple things on her own, you know, to ultimately bring it all together. We don't have all these employees all these positions you know that that we can fill to do that for us but given the opportunity we're we're both really good at that and uh you know talk about hard things we'd never done any of this before and it's just figure it out (laughs) you know so we're always yeah yeah, we're always figuring it out it's not uh, you know a lot of it's not rocket science it's just grit or it's just you know just get her done and uh that's the and, name. That's the John yeah. from Navy speaking right there. Yeah, yeah, Get basically. It done, right? Yeah, it's great though. Yeah, suck it up, do it. Yeah, yeah I love it. So, so um, John, uh, just the last question. You know, if uh, if you wanted to have a message for the audience watching the podcast, uh, what would that be? I have a lot of messages. <laughs> I, I would say. <laughs> You know, it, it, you know, one of, one of my already said was, um, you know, do hard things. If you don't challenge yourself, you have nothing to fall back on when times do get hard. And if you're accustomed to doing things, if you're accustomed to doing challenging things, then uh, you, you become more accustomed to doing them. And if you don't have anything challenging to do right now and you haven't run a marathon yet, go run a marathon, you know, look it up. What do I, you know, put it, put a training schedule, create good habits, right? Good habits. 
and you know it all it's it's all part of it's all part of the package and you know i think of the couple things you know i've continually told my daughter along the way and one of them is do hard things so that when life gets hard you can say i could do that standing on my head no big deal right just as they say ain't nothing but a thing just do it and the other thing is and i have to laugh sometimes because i you know, I, I used to drive my daughter to to school and it's right around the corner from the warehouse here. And you see these kids, you know, may, I, I don't know if it's a California thing or what, but, you know, dressed totally inappropriate for school, you know, sloppy. Right. And they're sauntering across the, the big intersection, you know, taking up as the clock's ticking down, you know, taking that whole 30 seconds. And I'd be like, come on, walk like you got a purpose, right? walk like you got a purpose. And my daughter, be, you know, she'd be rolling her eyes because here I am saying it again. <laughs> but it, isn't that isn't that just so true about everything? Act like Absolutely. you got a purpose. If you don't have a purpose, pretend like you have a purpose and you'll probably soon have a purpose, you know. But once once you do, you can pick up the pace. You know what I mean? And And when you display energy, you get energy. So yeah, do hard things and walk like you got a purpose. Uh, John, I'm actually stealing that one from you. Walk <laughs> like you have a purpose. That's that's just. All right, we're going to sign a licensing agreement. Well, John, uh, I will. We will put the description of your uh, actually the link to your website, Instagram, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Amazon shop as well in our in our description uh, below the video, so people can actually go check sure. it out, check out your merchandise, and uh, you know if they want to reach out to you for any kind of affiliation brand ambassador program they can do that yeah uh, that'd be great yeah john i mean listen this is this has been a blast i really enjoyed having a conversation with you i love your mindset i do well thanks sid i appreciate the uh i mean right from the introduction to you you know i appreciate your uh your interest and uh your uh, gentlemanly approach <laughs> so uh well, John, I mean, uh, I want to wish you and your wife all the success. Uh, and definitely, I would love to see you guys on the Shark Tank. I'll be jumping with joy. I promise. All right. All right. Um, no promises, but uh, never ruled it out. <laughs> so maybe, maybe so. Thank you so much, John, for your time. You have a good evening. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye -bye. You too, Sid. Thank you much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.